Hi there, thanks for downloading and listening to the 4 Million Years Later podcast. This is a show where two old friends get together and watch an episode of the Generation 1 Transformers cartoon in story order, then convene to talk about what they saw, comparing their experiences as young people who fell in love with the show when it first aired, never fell out of love with it, comparing it to our adult perspectives, having spent our whole lives thinking about it, and then comparing our perspectives between the two of us, the two hosts. And the first host is me. I am Jersey Drozd. I'm a cartoonist and teaching artist. The other host, the second host, or maybe he's the first host, and I was I just went prematurely, but what's his name? Hoover. Return of Hoover. I've returned since the last episode. <laughs> So, yes, everybody knows, because this is the way podcasts work, you see the title, and then you hit play on it, and thanks for hitting play, but you know that this is the episode that gives credence to the notion that if you just complain enough, you'll get your way. (laughs) (laughs) Because people were mad that Optimus Prime died in the movie, spoilers, and so we get the return of Optimus Prime. I mean, I guess like the return of Optimus Prime suggests already that he did die. It was not like the return of Optimus Prime back from his vacation, right? <laughs> True. He wasn't in Florida all that time. <laughs> it's not that big of a retcon. <laughs> the return of Optimus Prime from the hardware store. I'm back with those hex nuts you wanted. <laughs> but uh, who, who wrote this one? This one was by Marv Wolfman. And Sherry Wilkerson. Mm. And these are not names that we've seen on a Transformers episode yet. Marv Wolfman comes from the world of comics, but as far as TV goes, he wrote one episode of G.I. Joe, two episodes of Jim, and this, all of which were in the 1986 to 1987 season. So these were all coming out around the same time. And he would go on to write for Captain Power, Starcom, Fraggle Rock, the Ruby Spears late 80s Superman cartoon, the 90s Batman the Animated Series, the 90s mm. Spider-Man Animated Series, mm. and much, much more. Now, Sherry Wilkerson, she wrote for Jim as well. DuckTales, Spiral Zone, Dino Saucers, and also the Ruby Spears late 80s Superman cartoon, and the early 90s Batman the Animated Series. Oh. But her credits stopped there at 1992. But Wikipedia says since 1996, she has worked as a freelance copy editor. Wow. Now, yeah, Marv Wolfman, that's a name that a lot of people who grew up in the 80s know because he wrote the New Teen Titans. Mm-hmm. He wrote Crisis on Infinite Earths. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that was that was the name I was familiar with. That I wasn't familiar with a ton of names in comics when I was a kid, but that was one. So... This is exciting. I'm ready to dig into this one. Are you ready for me to do the cold IMDb logline read? Sure. Go for it. <clears throat> oh, but before I do that, we should say where we can watch it. For people who haven't seen this one, where can they go watch it, Hoover? Well, this is on the Hasbro Pulse YouTube channel. It's also on Tubi.tv. Season 3, Episode 29. Okay. Now, now that you know where to go watch it, you can pause it, you can go watch it, and then you can come back and compare your thoughts to ours. And then you can email us at 4 million years later at gmail.com or message us on the Facebook page, etc. But this is the part where I do the cold IMDb logline read where Hoover copies and pastes it from imdb.com and I read it aloud for the first time to see if I get caught in many of the grammatical traps laid by crowdsourced information on the internet. Here we go. <clears throat> A group of scientists find the body of Optimus Prime and some spores that bring out aggressive tendencies with whomever makes contact with it. 
The scientists have a grudge against the Autobots and use Optimus's body to lure them into a trap. As the spores spread through the Autobots and Decepticons, Rodimus orders Skylinks to find a Quintesson in a desperate attempt to bring Optimus Prime back to life. Pretty good. Yeah. No traps. No traps, no errors that I see. I mean, group of scientists is... I, mean, I guess three <laughs> people is a group. I guess it is, yes. Three's a crowd, as they say, so three can also be a group. But All right. Where do we begin with this one, Hoover? Well, to set the scene a bit first, the last episode to air before this one aired on November 20th, 1986. And this wouldn't air until March 2nd, 1987. Whoa. So as kids, we had over three months of reruns to deal with until one day we got the little voiceover at the end of the rerun of Dark Awakening letting us know not to cry. Optimus would be brought back soon. But is this really the end of Optimus Prime? Find out in tomorrow's exciting episode, The Return of Optimus Prime. And before we knew it, the reruns were ending with the little promo with Prime announcing that heroes never die and that Optimus Prime <laughs> could never be conquered. Heroes never die. I, Optimus Prime, can never be conquered. Catch the surprise return of Optimus Prime coming soon to the Transformers. <laughs> so if we were watching reruns, we knew this wasn't the end of the season. So March 2nd, 1987 arrives. It's a Monday. And we sit down to watch Transformers and we get this new episode. Mm. And we begin with a shot of a star and a pan through space. It's not too pretty, but this episode is done by Toei, not Akon. But there's enough sloppy shots to make you wonder. We close in on a spaceship with two humans aboard. The heat-resistant alloys are holding firm, as we expected. We did it. On board are a man and a woman. The man piloting the ship has a scar on his face. The woman sits down in the seat beside him as the man talks to a man on a view screen. Why, that's great, Gregory. So why don't you get my daughter away from there and head back home? We'll have a celebration. Dad, don't encourage Gregory to celebrate yet. We still need to test closer to the sun. Gregory is being voiced by Jared Barclay, whom we've heard as the Terracon Sinner Twin. He mm. just died less than two weeks ago as we're recording this on July 23rd, 2022. Oh. But he lived to the ripe old age of 91. The woman we'll find out is named Jessie and voiced by Joy Gridnick, whom we've heard before as Nimue in A Decepticon Raider in King Arthur's Court, as well as the female Junkion in Big Broadcast of 2006. Oh. Jessie's dad on the screen is voiced by Aaron Kincaid, voice of Skylinks. So we have some scientists doing science stuff out in space near the sun, or a star. They call it the sun, but in a few minutes something will happen proving it's not our sun. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> Suddenly, the woman spots something unusual on the view screen. A ship about to crash into a planet. Analyzing the ship, they detect life signs, and using that convenient Sunbow all-purpose camera, they see an Autobot in the ship. Not just any Autobot. It's Optimus Prime. And he's in fine shape. The last time we saw him, he was literally coming apart. I think he lost an arm and an eye. Mm -hmm. But he's certainly in one piece here. Of course, the entire point of this episode is to attempt to undo the trauma of killing Optimus. 
so it might be a little counterproductive to show him missing an arm and having pieces of his body ripped off. <laughs> so let's consider it an animation error done on purpose for the good of the children. Oh, won't somebody please think of the children? And TF Wiki says it was indeed referenced in the script that Prime is later repaired. So the storyboarders either misinterpreted the script and drew him as undamaged, or Hasbro stepped in and said, look, you know what? We've traumatized these kids enough. Let's just make sure the Optimus just looks okay. He's just sleeping, <laughs> kids. He's just sleeping, that's right. <laughs> well, Gregory recognizes Optimus right away, turns away from the monitor and touches a scar on his face. We viewers are treated to a flashback fight between Optimus and Megatron, fighting in a laboratory of some kind. Boy, it's nice to see Megatron again. It's been 30 episodes. Hmm. We see Gregory enter the lab during the fight, and we see him get hurt by an explosion caused by Megatron. Gregory flashes back from his memory, saying, Prime did this to me. This is his fault. No, Gregory, it was that other Transformer. Optimus Prime is an Autobot. A good robot. If you don't want to help me save him, you can stay here. Okay, I know it's been like a year or so, but the great and powerful Megatron has been relegated to being that other Transformer. <laughs> Ouch. Jeez, you terrorized the Earth for 20 years and you still can't even get name-dropped by flesh creatures that you disfigured. Sad affairs. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about this fact that Optimus is like in perfect shape because not only is he in perfect shape, but he's like sitting in the what is clearly the pilot's chair of the ship with his hand on the rudder, right? Or the whatever the stick that you call it that you move the ship around with. And so it looks like he's driving. He looks like he's conscious because this is part of the problem of like a transformer face as cool as they are. And like how we've talked about before, like Flint Dilly described them as being kind of like statuesque and angelic. And I really dig that description. I think it's it's apt and it it supports why I'm not a fan of when they show transformers with pupils, even though they do that later with like Transformers Prime and stuff anyway. But the trade off. The cost is that when you see this picture of him in the ship, it's just like, dum de dum 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 on a road trip, I'm Optimus, right? It doesn't look like he's dead. <laughs> it's really confusing. But then also, I, I just have to wonder, I, I think your guess is probably the most plausible answer that, like, you know, they looked at storyboards with Optimus looking like he did at the end of Dark Awakening, and somebody said, like, no, come on, we've got enough heat on this. Let's just, I know it doesn't make sense, but he's fine. Just draw him that he's fine, right? <laughs> but narratively, I just wonder how the narrative would change if Optimus was all wrecked up and he was just as scarred as Gregory. Just like kind of reinforcing the fact that Gregory, his, his hatred and his anger towards Optimus is, is so blind, right? Like it's, it's a blinding hatred because he can't see that, look, Optimus got hurt too. Not in the event that, that hurt you, but everybody gets hurt in these kinds of things. You're not the only kid in a block who got hurt, Gregory. Calm down, right? <laughs> But either way, it, it's, it's weird and confusing, but yep, that's where we are. So the pair somehow easily make it onto Optimus's ship, where he is indeed in one piece. Gregory points out that they only have five minutes to get back to their ship, the Solaris, before this one flies into a star. Gregory uses the time to insist that all robots are alike, and that Jessie, which we learn is her name, shouldn't be risking her life. The two of them manage to lug Optimus out with one minute remaining, getting safely back to their ship with Prime intact. 
So I'm I'm guessing it's zero G that, that they're able to do this, right? Yeah, I think so. it has to be because yeah. <laughs> otherwise they have hypno chips like and like and get super strength like Sparkplug did when he <laughs> threw the Optimus Prime model in the Ultimate Doom. The Prime ship then collides with the planetoid, and some kind of spores coat the human ship. The sun, as they call it, goes nova, and the Solaris is unharmed. Both Jesse and Gregory are happy that their experiment is a success, as their ship is unharmed by the sun going nova. Now, I'm no scientist, but I can Google. Other science fiction has taught me that when the sun goes nova, or supernova, it's really a bad thing. Nothing that just can be shrugged off. So here's what Google says. Our sun is too small to go nova or supernova. It will ultimately enter a red giant stage and then collapse as a white dwarf. It would need to be at least eight times more massive to nova. And if my memory of Carl Sagan's cosmos is accurate, if it went nova, it would incinerate our solar system and beyond. Because I remember there was a story in there about a supernova that happened, you know, hundreds and hundreds of light years away. But it, when it happened, it was so bright you could read by night to the light of that thing. Hmm. So, yeah, it would be. Yes, it's it's definitely not Sol, our sun. <laughs> <laughs> They're just like using the word sun for star. I guess like you know, if you if you work on a ship called the Solaris, the word sun is kind of like Smurf. You just throw it on anything. <laughs> So either physics is different in the Transformers universe, or this is just another star and not our sun from our solar system. And that second explanation seems to fit better, because in Dark Awakening, they were off hunting quintessons and not necessarily in Earth's solar system. Mm. Maybe Jesse's just accidentally calling this star the sun, so let's go with that. Yep. So the Solaris begins to trek home, and that's another key point here. In the next scene, we're back on Earth, so some amount of time has passed. So they could have been in another solar system. Obviously they rescued Prime before the end of Dark Awakening. So they can take a while to return home. Because that was 12 episodes ago for us. And we're also about to experience yet another time jump in this episode. So it all seems to fit together, don't you worry. So back home, Gregory, Jesse, and her father investigate the spores that were collected on their ship. They're determined to be alive. When they expose rats to them, the rats turn a glowing red and immediately start fighting each other. The spores are a virus that manifests hatred. They're trying to destroy each other. It's incredible. When we write our reports... Reports? Dad, don't you see how crazy this is? Get rid of those spores. Shoot them back into space. If they contaminate people, they could make World War II look like a schoolyard brawl. Jesse's dad is about to interject when the whole building shakes. It seems they're under attack by the Terracons. Ah! Galvatron wants the heat-resistant metal now! We'll take it! But the Terracons' attack is interrupted by the Technobots arriving on the scene. Rodimus was right! That report about that new ally drew the Decepticons like a magnet! I can't wait to sizzle their circuits! So everything unfolds as it usually does from here. The Terracons form Abominus, forcing the Technobots to form Computron. But he is quickly felled by Abominus via a blast to the midsection. Computron, think too much. Abominus resumes breaking into the laboratory, punching through the roof. 
As the ceiling falls, Jesse's legs are crushed by the raining debris. Abominus separates into his five components and finds the alloy that they've come for. The Technobots come running in, but it's too late. The Terracons are already on their way out. And the Technobots have to stop and help the humans. So here we get to the first thing that I think we're going to touch on a couple times in this episode, Hoover, is the incredibly fast cutting that's happening here. So fast, in fact, that it really depends on your ability to infer. <laughs> because like I, I screen capped it. See, you see a scene of Abominus stepping on the building. And then like there's a quick shot of Jesse getting buried by the rubble. And then the next shot is Sinner Twin like entering the laboratory. Like we didn't see mm -hmm. Abominus disassemble. It's just like one shot Abominus, next shot Sinner Twin. Okay. Yeah, so I guess if you don't understand, if you've never seen Abominus before and you don't understand yep. that he has five different robots that can come apart and have their own transform yep. modes, you're lost. Yep. Yep, it really this one is really asking you to already be on board for the show, right? And then like the next shot is the Technobots coming down the hallway. We didn't see Computron disassemble, right? But we see all the Technobots coming down the hallway shooting. And then we see all the Terracons in monster mode with all like the like, the beams of the heat resistant metal. And Hunger is mid-sentence like got what we want. We go fight another day. And before his sentence is over, we see them all in robot mode running out of the building. So it just feels like everything is super truncated. It's like we don't have time to show them transform. We don't have time to show them disassemble and reassemble. It just you understand. We're trusting the audience that you get it, that that's hunger <laughs> running out of the building in robot mode, even though you saw him literally one second ago in monster mode, right? <laughs> it feels like this episode overall really packs in material. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not necessarily complaining. I'm just saying that, like, as you pointed out, I think you're absolutely right. If this is your first episode of the Transformers, good luck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Scattershot lifts the debris off of Jesse and has Strafe summon first aid to meet them. All the while, Jesse's father is punching at the Technobot. Get away from her, you killers! Don't touch her! Leave my daughter alone! Once first aid and the Protectobots arrive, she's loaded onto a stretcher and put aboard first aid. They let her father know that they're taking her to the county general hospital and rush out of there. Jesse's dad is incensed. The ambulance! It's one of them! They're taking away Jessica! I hate them, Gregory! I hate them all! So... This is what I was saying last episode is that my memory is correct of this one is that it's not subtle about its messaging. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we found spores that manifest hatred. Who owns the spore? Who has possession of the spores? Oh, these guys who are just filled with hatred. It, it, how much hatred are they filled with? Oh, listen to them. I hate them all. <laughs> <laughs> that much hatred. That's how much he hates them. So... So now without Jesse around to defend the Autobots, the two men can hate on them all they want. <laughs> I hate them all! Gregory has a plan to use these newfound spores against them, making all the robots hate each other. <laughs> he reminds him that they have the body of Optimus Prime. When we're done, the new Optimus Prime won't be the Autobots' leader. He'll be their destroyer. So when we're listening to that line, 
what's happening on the screen is Gregory picks up what looks like some kind of like little, like a rosin bag almost, and he squeezes it, and then dust comes out of either side of the bag, right? So implying that he's picked up a little bag of the spores. So this has always puzzled me ever since I was a kid. I was like, well, why didn't he get infected then? And like, is it that he's already so filled with hatred that it doesn't work on him or something? Like the only, <laughs> the, the only way to immunize yourself from the hate spores is just to be like a complete a hole <laughs> from the start. <laughs> but so like that was weird. I I, I guess like. I don't know, maybe it's a storyboarding error. Somebody boarded it saying, like, this looks dramatic. And it does. It does. I mean, like, it, it connects us really instantly with the fact that he has the spores in his hand. But also, it's just like, I want to say, like, I, I want a quidison a la, like, a modern YouTube video to, like, lean into the shot and say, we already tried this. <laughs> <laughs> well, time passes. And over at the hospital, Jesse is in surgery. While back at the lab, her father seems to be doing some kind of surgery of his own on Optimus Prime. Now, TF Wiki says that this is where Prime was supposed to be being repaired and fixed up from how he looked at the end of Dark Awakening. But none of that traumatic stuff for the kiddies. Yeah, yeah we could talk about hatred all we want, but we can't talk about the effects of war, right? But th this is actually like, I, I was surprised when I watched this scene again. It's been a long time since I've actually watched the episode instead of just listening to it. And there's a neat little bit of mirroring that they do here, like scene mirroring, where they cut to Jesse in the operating room and the doctor's got her right hand held up and her wrist is hanging limply. And they got like a little like apparatus like holding her arm up as they're, all these doctors are on the table working on her. And then it cuts to a shot of Optimus on the table. It's at, at an opposing angle. So like they're almost like at right angles to one another when you look at it. Like just mm -hmm. at like 45 degree angle going to the right. Optimus is 45 degree angle going to the left. And his hand is up. His right hand is up in the same position held up by like a mechanical apparatus while this her, her dad is working on him, right? Do you have any thoughts on why they would do that? It, it looks nice, but I, I'm just That's wondering. That's the like, only thing that comes to mind that the storyboard artist went, you know what would look nice? Yeah. As if you had them mirroring each other. Autobots, they're just like us. Well, maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. They're trying to show because like, we've already had these characters saying like, all robots are the same, you know? So maybe, maybe it's that. But yeah, narratively, I'm having difficulty figuring out like why they would choose to do this other than it's just like it's a nice little piece of symmetry. This feels like an artist going, you know what? It'll be really cool. And they'll go, ooh, <laughs> when they look at it. <laughs> so I want to find a storyboard. And so I could be like, it took almost 40 years, but I got there and I went, ooh, that's nice. And he's like, now I can die. <laughs> Well, more time passes, and we cut back to the hospital where Jesse's dad and Gregory come rushing in because Jessica has awoken out of surgery. Another indeterminate amount of time has passed. They run into the lobby where, oops, we see Hotspot and Blades waiting with who was probably supposed to be first aid, but they drew Swindle. Jesse is here, awake, and to her father's surprise, standing. Jesse, what have these monsters done to you? Dad, I can walk. Dr. Morgan, her legs were paralyzed in the accident. This exoskeleton will enable her to move about. We see Jesse has braces on both legs that allow her to walk normally, but her dad is not a fan. Good heavens, Jessica. Don't you see what they're doing? They're destroying you like they destroy everything else. He continues to be enraged when the Protectobots hoped he'd be pleased. 
Her father insists that Jesse come back home to the lab immediately, and they exit the hospital. And I gotta say, as, as a child watching this, this was one of the scenes where I was like, why is he so mad? I'm like, if, if I get injured to the point where I can't use part of my body, and suddenly I can use like cyborg body parts, as, as it like a, a 12, 13-year-old boy in 1986... You know, I was pretty excited about that prospect. Like, the future sounds great. <laughs> well, it's the robots who damaged her. He hates them, Jersey. He hates them. <laughs> I hate them all. Oh, I forgot he, that he said that like six times. <laughs> I should pay more attention to the dialogue in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, back at the lab, it seems the plan to use Optimus isn't going so well. There seems to be a lot of cut dialogue here. I wonder if it was like, hey, while you were gone, I repaired Optimus Prime. Yeah. Uh, since they didn't do that visually. <laughs> so things are a bit unclear. But since their initial plan isn't working, Gregory decides to just melt Prime down for scrap in order to make more special alloy. Gregory starts up a conveyor, and Prime's body begins progressing down a conveyor belt into an incinerator full of flames. Jesse objects. No! You can't do this! Stop! And with Prime about to die all over again, we head to our first commercial break. Now, can you imagine, like, actually believing in the peril of this moment? Because, like, it's called the return of Optimus Prime. <laughs> it's like Hasbro just wants to, like, stab you again and poke the knife around in your insides it's like well he returned sorry he's getting burned up now right right and then yeah some hasbro executives like psych (laughs) (laughs) pulls out his toy back across the table he's like oh no but but i mean like the performance of jesse is pretty good here like it feels authentic when Mm -hmm. she says that you know scream stop so i'm at least i'm at least that much shaken up by it but you know there's only there's only one way to make ourselves feel better. We could go to therapy. That that works sometimes. Eh, that's expensive, and we don't get any cool toys to show for it. That's right. What works 100% of the time is going shopping. <laughs> so usually when it comes to be commercial time, we watch period-appropriate commercials from around the time the show aired. But this time, we're watching commercials for things that returned after being away. Like our oh. man Optimus here from the 80s and 90s. Whoa! And first up is this commercial for the return of the Atari 2600. When Nintendo and Sega had their grip firmly on the world, Atari came crawling back going, Hey guys, remember me? Offering their console for a third of the price of their competitors. The Atari 2600 now only costs under 50 bucks. Under 50 bucks? Now isn't that nice? The fun is back, oh yes sirree It's the 2600 from Atari It's the video system with classics galore From space invaders to cars that roar A real hit joystick controls the screen Solaris is hot and midnight magic's mean And one more thing, it's got a special low price Under 50 bucks 50 bucks? Now isn't that nice? The fun is back, oh yes sirree It's the 2600 from Atari I remember when this happened. I remember it, it happened a few years later with the Nintendo Entertainment System too, didn't it? Where they released like a new looking mm-hmm. version, and then it was yeah, like the top loading like, Nintendo. That's right. I mean, fifty bucks. Jeez, I guess that 
what was it? What was the Nintendo going for at that time? I forget. Was well, it I remember the Nintendo Super Mario Two cartridge. Just the cartridge when it first came out was forty two ninety nine at Wow. Toys R Us. So you wow. could get an entire Atari system. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it came bundled with any games for that price. Probably not. But you wow. get an entire system for just a few dollars more than a Nintendo cartridge. That's that's bananas. And I like how they like really emphasize our really cool joystick. You know, it's a really awesome joystick. You you hate that D-pad, don't you? No, it's actually really precise and it's, it feels really good in the hand. No, you hate it. Go back to the joystick. But it doesn't move right all the time. They break real easy. No, no, it's way better. <laughs> and it's only 50 bucks. Isn't that nice? <laughs> So, no, I didn't get it back then, and I still actually have an original, like, 1982 Atari 2600 with, like, the wood paneling on it. I'm looking at it right now. It's right in my studio, hooked up to a CRT television. Gosh, do I want another one, though? Do I want a backup? Do I want another Atari? This is a smaller version, so you could keep it in the bathroom or something. Oh, well, now you're talking about playing Atari in the bathtub. Now we're see that's all you need. You just need to like change the context for me. So now it's like okay, I can I can have a good soak, you know, light some <laughs> scented candles, and I can play, you know, Yar's Revenge. I'm in. It's it's under fifty bucks. Isn't that nice? All right, I'll do it. Yes, I'll take it. All right. Well, what was the main thing that disappeared and reappeared every three years in our youth? No, it wasn't Haley's Comet. <laughs> Star Wars movies, which always brought new action figures and playsets to the stores, like the Ewok Village from Return of the Jedi. It's Ewok Village. I must save my friends. Let's set. I'll get them. Dear me, what a close call. It's C-3PO, New Logray, and Ewok Village playset. Action figures eat sold separately. You have to put it together. I'm Logray, the Ewok medicine man. Take me to your leader. Your throne, O Golden King, will celebrate with special stew, a barbecue. No celebration for me until my friends are free. Very well, Your Majesty. Ewok Village playset from Star Wars Return of the Jedi collection. Action figures sold separately. New from Kenner. So... I'm calling BS on this commercial because I don't remember the Ewoks talking that way. <laughs> like, hey, I'm Low Gray Medicine Man. How do you like my grasp of English? <laughs> you sound a lot like Miles Mayhem, Low Gray. Ah, <laughs> oh, mask, I hate them. So, and I, I just I cannot get over that generic Star Wars commercial. He's like, da, 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 da. <laughs> yeah. It sounds so. It sounds like an employee training video from like 1986. <laughs> Here's how we make the Burger King French fries. <laughs> so they must not have been able to get like the license to use the Star Wars music for a Star Wars toy commercial. That's wild. Yeah, I'm guessing like right after this, because there were definitely commercials that did use the music uh-huh. but that came later. I'm guessing they were like, look, we're tired of using this generic music. Will you at least allow us to use the Star Wars music for free in the commercials? Yeah. Lucasfilm was like, oh, I guess. I guess it'll help sell toys. Yeah. And then we got the later ones with the, the galaxy explodes and it's yeah. no longer, you know. But uh, I also love how in this commercial, Low Gray is like, we're prepared a feast for you. And it just shows like the empty spit because like, well, we can't put people on the spit. <laughs> Not in a kid's commercial. <laughs> So it's like, oh, we've prepared a feast for you. You have to use your imagination. It's delicious. <laughs> Do I want the Ewok Village? Well, 
I'm one of those Star Wars fans. Well, I wouldn't call myself a Star Wars fan. I like Star Wars like everybody does. It's like saying like, oh, I'm a food fan. Well, <laughs> if you say you're if you're a food fan, you have a different relationship with food than somebody who just eats food, right? So I am to Star Wars what people who eat food is to food, right? It's like, yeah, it's there. I like it. But I, but when I show up, I show up for the cute monster. So I always will be there for Ewoks. I love Ewoks. And I know it's not a popular thing to say among some crowds in Star Wars who think that all Star Wars is is Boba Fett in a Corvette with two guns out of each window shooting everything and the world's on fire. <laughs> but I like the cute stuff. I'll take the, I'll take the Ewok village. I never had it. Mm, I had it as a kid. Did you really? Mm-hmm. So I was you, a big Ewok ha- fan as well. Really? Yep. This this is the Decepticon fan who also liked Ewoks? Yep. Wow. I liked cute, fuzzy things. <laughs> and now you are a cute, fuzzy thing. Oh. <laughs> well, cool. So let's both we'll take our Ewok villages together. We'll set them up in the backyard, and we'll set up a bunch of little piles of rocks and knock them down, because that's what you do in these commercials. So, <laughs> Yeah, that's two. You got me to get two. All right, well... After our beloved G.I. Joe left TV in the toy aisle, it would make its comeback in 1995 as G.I. Joe Extreme. (laughs) New scale, new characters, new attitude. And that's the way we like it. (laughs) Wasn't that Gary Chalk who said that? Mm Mm-hmm. Extreme times call for extreme heroes. G.I. Joe Extreme. It's the all-new G.I. Joe Extreme. Bigger, bolder, and battle-ready. Lieutenant Stone leads the all-new Joes with ultra-slam firepower against the evil Iron Claw and his Scar forces. Scar's Bone Splitter tank is brutal, but the two-in-one Sand Striker strikes back with long-distance Scar resistance. Battle extreme times call for extreme heroes. It's the all-new G.I. Joe Extreme. Figures and vehicles each sold separately. So, as I listen to this commercial, this is, I'm only noticing this now after so many years, but like the narrator, like you listen to the narrator in like the old G.I. Joe commercials where I forget the fella's name, who he also did like, he did like shampoo commercials too, but like G.I. Joe is the code name for the, you know, that guy. Like it sounds like, you know, you're listening to a general or like yep. an admiral on a ship talking. And then you got Victor Crowley in the Transformers commercials, right? It's like a, a scary guy, boys. And then we get to this one, and it's like Michelangelo from the Ninja Turtles is narrating it. Like, hey, dudes, we've got G.I. Joe now. It is extreme, and I'm 14 years old, right? <laughs> Bigger, bolder, and battle-ready. So I wonder like, if that was – it had to have been a conscious shift. It's like, oh, kids will buy things more if it sounds like Polly Shore <laughs> is trying to sell it to them, right? So it's funny that like the, the visuals are all like super macho. These guys are broad shoulder. They're huge. They're so muscular. The muscles have muscles, you know, but like the kids selling it to you is like, Hey dudes, do you like milkshakes? So <laughs> it's kind of, I, I, I'm, I'm getting dizzy from the dissonance on this. And, I, and like, I think like iron claw looks kind of cool, mm-hmm. but I've never come around to this one. Hoover. I've never like looked back on GI Joe extreme, but like, Oh, you know what? I missed out. Mm-hmm. It's just it's it's too extreme. I can't <laughs> I can't do it. Yeah, so I tried. I certainly tried at the time. I it was airing the same time as Beast Wars, and I would yeah. set the VCR to record not just Beast Wars but GI Joe Extreme. So yeah. I would like get all these episodes on tape, and I'd watch them. And I'd be like, well, it's okay, but it's GI yeah. Joe. 
I know. But it's only okay. But it's G.I. Joe. I, I was there with you. We were talking on the phone at this time. And I remember we were both just like really reeling from it. It's like, we want to we wanna like it. We want to like it so bad. And it's like, oh, Cobra Commander appeared on the VHS tape that came with Sergeant S- Slammer. No, what was his name? Savage. S- Sergeant Savage. <laughs> yes. It's like, okay, Cobra Commander's in it kind of. So it's it, it, we, we have to like it, right? <laughs> I never was able to pull it off. So... Yeah, play your prices right. Boom, 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 boom. Well, I can't get it. I cannot get it. Yeah. And and I'm and I'm gonna be suspicious of any product that's sold to me with Michelangelo of the Ninja Turtles talking to me about it. <laughs> I love Michelangelo, but I don't want him making a sales pitch. So, so two out of three. Oh, well, you go off in the corner and be unextreme, dude. <laughs> <sighs> Well, as we return, Optimus is sliding into the open flames, and Jesse valiantly tries to save him. The Autobots helped her be able to walk again, and she just can't sit back and watch while their leader is killed again. This gives Gregory an idea. Mark, she's right. He is their leader. If the others knew where he was, they'd come for him. And when they came, our spores could be waiting for them. As Prime is conveyed away from the flames, Mark decides to rope Jesse into their plan. She's to go and find an Autobot and let them know their leader is here. Jesse refuses, but after some cajoling and parental pressure, she agrees to do so, though she isn't happy about it. Yeah, she says, but I'll hate it. I just hope I don't learn to hate you. <laughs> it's like, okay, they're not being at all coy about the theme <laughs> in this episode. <laughs> And then I love that when she says that walks away, like Mark, the guy who they finally identified with the name, the Jesse's father, he looks sad. And then, then Gregory comes over and is like, hey, pal, it's okay. It's all in the name of hatred. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't say that, everybody, but he puts his hand on his shoulder in this comforting way. saying, like, don't worry. It's more important that we hate these people than your daughter feeling like she's loved and supported by you. <laughs> wow, these guys are messed up dudes. <laughs> Well, we change scenes, and again, what we said about the pacing earlier, Jesse's yep. already riding along in Alter Magnus, explaining what her father and Gregory have done. She asks Magnus to take her to Rodimus Prime. We cut away and find Rodimus literally looking up to a statue of Optimus. Why do I keep seeing you in my dreams, Optimus? Are you telling me I'm not the leader you were? I already know that, Optimus. I always have. He's trying to tell you how lucky you are that your Geary isn't other Autobots like his was. <laughs> Except maybe Wheelie. He seems like he could be Geary pretty easily. <laughs> but side note, 94 episodes into this series, is this the first time they explicitly say that Transformers dream? Because that implies that they also sleep. Has it ever been noted that they actually sleep? Is it just in the little recharge chambers that we saw in the arc before when Megatron snuck in with his invisibility spray and reprogrammed the chambers to make the Autobots evil? So is sleeping for an Autobot akin to just plugging in your phone at night? Mm. 94 episodes in, and we still have to deduce and assume a lot of this stuff. The script actually had Rodimus's dream in it, according to the wiki. But alas, it got cut. So... I think I can think of a couple examples. Like one, we've seen 
Transformers pass out mm-hmm. in that famous scene where they all got drunk at Megatron's party that Thruster and Ramjet were invited to. <laughs> I'm talking about microbots, everybody. Microbots. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we all remember the scene of Thundercracker saying, this stuff's the greatest, and then falls over unconscious. And, I, I mean, there was the scene in Five Faces of Darkness where Rodimus, like, short-circuits himself to mm-hmm. pass out and go on a spirit journey, so they can be unconscious at least, right? Mm-hmm. But, yeah, yeah, this is the first time we get dreams. And I, I, I don't know. I've always hated this line. <laughs> I I feel like, especially coming right on the tail of Burton Hardest to Baird, have him being like, are you telling me I'm not good? I already know I'm not good. <laughs> oh, come on. Don't erase all that growth that he just went through, and now he's back to being mopey Rodimus. You should have like a little bit more self-assurance than that. I mean, yeah, we all feel a little bit of self-doubt, but God, I don't sit around and like look at pictures of Abraham Lincoln going like, I'm never going to be you. Oh, man. <laughs> I thought you did that all the time. <laughs> no, I mean, I use them as an aspirational image. It's like, oh, so I'm going to keep on trying to be as good as you. But I don't like beat my, I don't, I don't like wearing a hair shirt over it. So I, I, I get this. This episode is like really truncated. It's it's super. It's like it's almost like a music video. It's just hitting its <laughs> point so fast. Right. I get it. And I'm and I'm grateful to see that. OK, maybe there was a dream. But whoa, what, what do you think was happening in that dream? It was up was like, you really don't know what you're doing, do you? No, I don't. You should get better. You know, you should get better now. <laughs> Stop being so bad, bad person. Right? God. It's just, I, but I get what they're trying to say here is that Rodimus, this almost feels like a Mary Sue thing. Like Rodimus is like talking on behalf of us, quote unquote. Yeah, we all hate Rodimus. We want Optimus back. Ugh, don't do that. So, yeah, that this line has bugged me since I was a kid. Anyway. So Magnus pulls up with Jesse, and she explains the whole deal. We, we intercepted Optimus's ship before that star went nova. We. What are you saying? Is Optimus alive? No, but my father has his body in his lab. Rodimus right away tells Magnus that they have to rescue him so he can rest in peace. But Jesse explains that's what her father wants: is for the Autobots to show up and fall for the trap. Rodimus doesn't care. Optimus has to be rescued. Magnus tries to talk sense into him, but he says he'll listen on the way to the lab. Right now, they gotta go. And we get a quick shot of Ratbat perched up on a tall building watching this discussion with interest. Until he flies away with the information he's recorded. So Magnus rallies the troops, assembling an assault force to head out to the lab. The Protectobots, the Aerial Bots, the Throttle Bots. Wait, who? Here's a sound sample I haven't used in forever. Let me blow the dust off. The Throttle Bots are four Autobot cars who we see run up in robot mode and transform to vehicle mode. Now, we're not introducing them yet because they aren't even talking yet, nor are they even named right now. But to give you a little more information, the toys were similar to Runamuck and Runabout, in that when you pulled them back in either their robot or vehicle mode, they would drive forward, only they wouldn't transform automatically like Runamuck and Runabout would. They were only a smidge larger than Minibot size. But on the screen we're seeing an orange dump truck, white car, 
red car and a blue car. And there's two more that we don't see yet, but put a pin in this. Let's wait till they get some lines or we at least get a better shot of them because this shot is brief and it's animated pretty poorly. Mm-hmm. Magnus surrounds out his assault force with Wheelie, Blur, Bumblebee, and Steeljaw. Rodimus transforms and has Jesse get in, and off they go, headed into an obvious trap. So I just want to hold this moment to say that the way Magnus assembles the assault force is so obviously a commercial in this mm-hmm. one. This is like this is the scene that I feel like anybody who wants to, you know, have their damning criticism of it, right? It's like it's just a commercial for toys. Yep, that scene is it. Magnus, call out an assault force. I'm gonna name every character that you gotta go out and buy, right? Except when he gets to the throttle boss, he's just like, throttle boss, transform. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know your names yet. <laughs> Which one are you, Dub Trucky? <laughs> I have a name. No, but, but like he actually calls out like like Protectobots, and he names all the Protectobots, and he's like, merge into Defensors, and now he said all of their names, right? He does that for this whole thing, and then by the, the last part, he's like, finally, last but not least, Blur, Steel Job, Wheeling, Bumblebee. <laughs> he actually says last but not least. So it's it's a pretty silly scene and like you said it's not animated very well like the the way they transform is almost like claymation bloopiness right <laughs> And then in case you didn't see it before we see Ratbat fly overhead again get it kids they were being spied on <laughs> So we follow Ratbat to a college campus It certainly looks that way with the Decepticons just hanging out in the football arena Yeah, this is a weird shot, yeah. We see Soundwave, Galvatron, Cyclonus, and Scourge just standing around in an empty arena. Maybe Blitzwing called in some favors with a football coach and they leased the space (laughs) as a temporary headquarters now? (laughs) In any case, Soundwave has made so few speaking appearances this season that everyone behind the scenes has forgotten how they used to do the effects for his voice. So he sounds like this. Ratbat has returned. Ratbat, report. My father has his body in the lab. So, Optimus Prime may yet live, but not for much longer. Now, obviously, there is a breakneck pace to this episode. We have to assume there was more to that recording than the one sentence, because there is no way you can deduce <laughs> that she was talking about Optimus Prime there. <laughs> So come on, come on, we have to transition back to the Autobots who are pulling up to the aforementioned lab. Yeah. Jesse gives them the layout, explaining where Optimus is being kept. Rodimus has Magnus take the aerial bots and throttle bots around back to retrieve Optimus, while Rodimus and Jesse plan to enter the front and distract her father and Gregory. Everyone else is to patrol the area. The Decepticons were here once. They may return. We don't need Decepticons making this any harder than it already is. Now, the Terracons were here at the lab, but that was probably weeks ago, at least, mm-hmm. because of all the montages. But I'm guessing that means that the college campus-looking place that the Decepticons were at the last scene is around here. This lab is probably on campus. I don't know if this was originally written as a three-parter or what, but everything in here just seems trimmed down. Mm-hmm. So everyone goes off where they're told to go, and Rodimus reminds them all not to touch any red dust. 
which must have been a detail explained en route because we didn't hear anything about that. <laughs> Breakneck pacing, kids. Well, Jesse runs in and there's no sign of her dad. She calls in Rodimus and instantly he sees Optimus's body sort of haphazardly leaned up against a wall. Not thinking about the obvious trap, he runs right up to him. But Jesse decides that the trap must be around back where she last saw Optimus. So the pair scramble to the back. We cut there and already see Magnus, Superion, and the Throttle Boss getting doused with red smoke coming through the air vents. When Rodimus and Jesse arrive, they can see the others through a giant window. Rodimus wants to crash through, but Jesse stops him. On the other side of the glass, the infected Autobots all glow red and start shoving and punching and running into one another, leaving Rodimus and Jesse to look on helplessly. They decide to get Optimus out of there, so they run back to the front of the lab. Infected Magnus shows his altered personality, screaming, Where's that punk Rodimus Prime? I want him! The aerial bots convert to Superion, who bursts through the roof of the lab like Animal in the Muppet movie. <laughs> and he sees Defensor standing guard outside. Superion shoots at him, knocking him down. But having been warned to avoid touching any red spores, the Protectobots decide to just get out of there lest they become infected. In the front of the lab, Rodimus has Optimus loaded up on his roof when infected Magnus bursts in. There you are, you beauty wimp! Jessica, get in and hold on tight! Rodimus peels out, having to flee from Magnus and avoid three of the Throttlebots who try to head him off. But then as Rodimus turns down a hallway, he nearly runs into Jesse's dad, who tosses a red canister towards him. But some quick backpedaling keeps Rodimus unharmed. Jesse gives Rodimus directions out of the lab, but who comes barging in through the exit but Bruticus, the Stunicons, and Galvatron. Rodimus veers off in another direction, but three infected Autobots come running at Bruticus, quickly infecting both him and the Stunticons. Galvatron hangs back and isn't sure what he's seeing. The Autobots are acting like madmen! It's a madness plague, Galvatron! If one of those Transformers touches you, you're infected! You're lying! Fine, whatever makes you a happy Decepticon, just watch your rear thrusters. They've gone mad! So both Rodimus, with Optimus lying on his roof, and Galvatron get out of there. So, before we switch scenes, I gotta stop and, and reflect on, like, there's aspects of this episode that I really like. I mean, like, this this is starting to feel like, I think, your observation about how, like, tightly packed everything is, and how on the nose the theme is, makes this all feel like this is mostly in service of just bringing Optimus back. We're building a story to bring Optimus back, and that's like our first objective. And everything else is kind of in service to that, so it's not getting like expressed as as elegantly or as in as sophisticated a way. As funny as that is to, a word to use for a cartoon like the Transformers, but we've had episodes like Web World and like Burden Heart of Bear where it feels like this. There's like the story's about something, right? Mm -hmm. And this one just feels like it's like no, this is a plot to get Optimus back somehow. Although it's not clear why he needs to come back yet. You know, it's a big problem that they're facing. It's a huge problem, actually. And it's it, it's implying what a big problem it could be very, very quickly. But why did we need Optimus for that exactly? I don't know. But I do 
like that this is kind of a zombie story, right? In that you have to fight them, but you also have to keep them away from you because if they touch you or bite you or whatever, you're going to get infected the way they are. It's kind of like what happened in Dweller in the Depths, right? Mm -hmm. But instead of like becoming a vampire or a rabid animal person like in a zombie movie, you become a nasty version of you, right? The, the, the most shadowy version of you. All of your darkest impulses come to the surface. And I really dig that idea of like Magnus his shadow being like a disrespectful bully, right? Because what's what's his his persona? His persona is that he's like Mr. Rules, Mr. Restraint, Mr. Rodimus, don't be so impulsive all the time. So what is the part of himself that he's banishing? Well, it's the more impulsive and aggressive part of himself for sure, right? Even when we get the good Magnus episodes where we're like he's fighting Cyclonus and they, we, they explore that rivalry between the two of them, he is super composed and pulled together, right? Yeah, we've got the whole, I can't deal with that now joke. But like there are episodes where we're like, whoo, Magnus, I'm fanning myself over here, right? <laughs> so I love that this idea of like, it's a virus that when it gets into you, all of your darkest impulses come to the surface. And now he's just like this monstrous bully. Where's that punk Rodimus Prime? I want him, right? He Like the first thing he says is I want Rodimus. He doesn't want to just hurt everybody, which he does, but he like mostly wants to hurt Rodimus. That is an interesting idea that... I feel like th there's not enough time to explore it in this because why? Well, we've got to get to the whole optimist thing, right? <laughs> we can't explore the hate plague in too much sophisticated detail, but okay. But lean into the cartoony aspect. One thing I also love is like, this is, this is why I became a cartoonist. I mean, it's one of the many reasons I became a cartoonist, but if you were to ask me, why do you love cartooning so much? It's because it's the visual poetry of it. And I really do believe in this kind of visual poetry in that well, how do we show they're infected? We're to make them literally turn red and a red glow is going to happen around them, right? Why? Why would that happen if you got infected by a hate spore, right? It doesn't make any sense. It's not supposed to. It's it, You could almost assume it's not even really there. Like in the same way word balloons in a comic are both there and not there, right? Like Batman doesn't look up, up at Superman's word balloon and say, what's that hanging above your head, right? <laughs> It, but it's there. We see it. It's as real as any other drawing on there. But in the context of the world that the characters are interacting in, it doesn't exist, right? That's what I mean by visual poetry. And so, like, this red glow thing is just a way to say to us so that we can keep up with the story is, like, that means they're infected. Accept it and move on. This is the flux capacitor. This is how time travel works. It's magic, okay? <laughs> And I, I don't mean that in a, in a disparaging way. I mean like that that's actually like one of the features of cartoons is they can yeah. do this kind of thing and we accept it. So that whole part of this two-parter is, I think is a really genuinely interesting. I just wish they had more room for it. Mm -hmm. Well, we cut away to Cup, Blur, and Bumblebee pulling up to Superion telling him to stop. When did Cup get here? Hmm. Cup warns everyone to not let themselves be touched or they'll get the plague. Some police pull up and they fire their handguns at Superion, but you can imagine how well that goes. <laughs> Superion fires on the Autobots, but none of them get infected. We cut to Defensor trying to lead people out of town over a bridge, but Superion swoops in and starts a fight with Defensor, who of course gets infected during the melee, leading to him separating with everyone starting to fight one another. Back at Autobot City, Rodimus pulls in with Optimus, Rekgar comments, Yeah, 
yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lossy, Lossy, what have you done now? Rektar, help me see if there's anything that can be done with Optimus. I'm a doctor, not a forklift. His engines, they cannot take the strain. Rektar, any hope that Junkions can repair him? He's dead, Jim. Now, this is a good thing to include. In the mm -hmm. movie, we saw the Junkions bring Ultra Magnus back from certain death. So it's a question worth asking. Can they do it for Optimus now? And it turns out, no, they can't. But definitely a good thing to address for all the little know-it-alls like me who are probably sitting at home going, why can't Rekar just fix him? <laughs> and the I Love Lucy and Star Trek references are a nice touch. Yep. So Jessica asks, Who built Optimus in the first place? The Quintessons. And they revived him once before. Come in, Skylinks. Bring me a Quintesson. A Quintesson? But they're in hiding at the far reaches of the galaxy. What's the matter? Don't you think you can handle it? Of course I can handle it, but what on Cybertron do you want with a Quintesson? I need a Quintesson to rebuild Optimus Prime. Optimus Prime? I will not rest until I have found you a Quintesson, though it may stress my superior engines beyond endurance. Just do it! So another great exchange. It is absolutely great characterization for Rodimus to set up this impossible task as a challenge for Skylinks, who of course mm -hmm. will never admit that anything is out of the realm of his accomplishments, <laughs> thus egging him on to make sure he's successful. And as far as that line about like who built Optimus in the first place, and then Rodimus says the Quintessons, and they revived him once before. I mean, I get it that you want to bring up that the Quintessons revived him, right? But it's like, I guess... I, they're saying the Quintessons built Orion Pax? I yeah, guess. I don't think they're going to bother themselves with the details that before <laughs> Optimus was someone called Orion Pax and then, right. and right. then Alpha Trion rebuild him. But if, if if we can't even listen to the whole recording right. that Ratbat did. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> so meanwhile, Infected Magnus has found his way back to Autobot City and shoots through the wall in a search of Rodimus Prime. Rodimus is about to shut down Metroplex so he can't get infected, when all of a sudden Rodimus spots the infected Magnus in the reflection of a monitor, and we go to our second commercial break. Yep, he's right behind you. The call is coming from inside the house. <laughs> so this scene, like, I, I always felt like this was... When he says, I got to shut Metroplex off, I always felt like there was some gravity to it. Because, like, he says, like, oh, my gosh, if Metroplex gets infected. And Jesse says, like, I know it's a terrible thought. And, like, mm -hmm. that's all you need. Because you, you know how big Metroplex is. Like, oh, yeah, if he gets infected, yeah, the world's screwed. But the gravity that he uses, I watched it now. I was like, because he says, like, I'm sorry, Metroplex, there's no other way. And you just hear Metroplex say, I understand, Rodimus, as he sh shuts off the switch. And so... Our, are they implying that he's killing Metroplex? Well, the wiki says that people have definitely thought that before, so you're not alone. But I don't think so. I think it's as simple as a like a on and off switch. Like, if you just have him set to off, you know, he's just a building. He can't transform. You know, it's just that simple. He can't talk. He can't do anything. He's just a building. But if you turn all the components back on you know he can do everything again so i see I, I think so, he's just like forcing him to take a nap more or less so even if he does get infected he can't do anything about it because his brain is not connected to his body right now mm -hmm. yeah got it got it's it okay just a building 
Got it. Oh, that, I mean, that, that, he's that, not going to turn into a red glowing building, you know. He's, right. he's just going to sit there like any other inactive thing would. Well, and, and again, the red glow is a, is more of an interpretation. So, like, he could be infected, but, like, the red glow means they're infected and they're conscious, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But, yeah, we've got, like, that... that this is actually a good cliffhanger moment. Rodimus has got his back to Magnus. We see Magnus's reflection in the mirror. We know that, okay, he's going to get him. He's going to get him. So, so yeah, I, I, I'm feeling appropriate tension now, and I'm even more eager than ever to quell it and numb myself with purchasing things. So let's go. <laughs> Over here again, treated to commercials of items making a triumphant return, like Batman! Toy Biz came out with a line of figures and vehicles for the 1989 movie, and the last Batman toys available were from the Superpowers line from Kenner, which had pretty much dried up by then. Now, what kid could go without owning a Bob the Goon figure? <laughs> Batman's battle against crime never ends, and now you can bring the action home. Batman! Ha ha! You missed! Yeah, but I only missed once! Joker, just watch if you can. You won't be alone for long. And in the Batcave. No criminal can hide from Batman. Batman, gotta run to jail. Each item sold separately from Toy Biz. <laughs> Does Bob the Goon even get named in this commercial? <laughs> I don't even they think should... he gets named. Oh well, he does get named in the film. Never mind. I think yeah, they just Joker call him. They call like him Bob, my gun, or something. Like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. He calls him Bob, but he does it like Bob the Goon. Get over here. <laughs> and I know that's what the box said because I had the figure. <laughs> yep. So yeah, I, 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 I love this commercial. I love that like this poor Bob is just like standing there looking kind of you know placid while Batman and the Joker are duking everything out. And and I and I did love and I still like the 1989 Batman movie, but I I have to say I I'm one of those weirdos who has like mixed feelings on him being like dark and moody. I know that's what the character originally was. Don't don't come at me about it. It's just that like uh, I I I like my Batman blue and gray and yellow. <laughs> and I and I th- when I the new figure came out, I was like, he looks fine, but he doesn't look. There's something about the the, the superpowers figure that I just feel like it's almost perfection. I don't know how you can improve upon that. Mm-hmm. So, but maybe it's just because the age I was when that came out. But, but yeah. So, do I want this Batman? I mean, he's got the belt that turns into the grappling hook, which you use a lot in the movie. Like that's mm-hmm. a pretty, pretty cool play feature for a toy. So, yeah, I'm gonna get him, and I'll get Bob the Goon, and I'm not gonna get the Joker. I'm gonna stick with my 1985 superpowers mm-hmm. Joker with that came with the big hammer with a Joker face on it. Mm-hmm. I prefer that one. <laughs> Okay, now how about the triumphant return of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, returning in mm. 2002 after more than a decade away? In his mighty fortress, Prince Adam transforms into He-Man. I have the power! And now it's He-Man versus the evil Skeletor. Skeletor alone is no match for He-Man, but there's the ferocious fangs of Panthor. Scratch that, He-Man's got Battle Cat. Now it's a fight with bite and a mass of missiles. That was close, but He-Man's mighty sword is closer. So long, Skeletor. New He-Man, Skeletor, Battle Cat, and Panther figures each sold separately. Did you hear that, Hoover? Did you hear that there's an adult 
narrating this one again it's not a kid so i think like it was just like the 90s was just like hey dudes you got to get this cool new toy it's all teenage mutant ninja turtles fault (laughs) that's right it really is we were just like obsessed with hyper color t-shirts surge soda skateboards and saying hey dudes (laughs) so it's like the steve buscemi thing like hey fellow kids thing right it's like that that's like the image of the 90s in my head Sorry, everybody who grew up in the 90s. I was in my 20s, so it it didn't appeal to me as much as it did to all you. I I still liked a lot of stuff in the 90s. Hey, I love Beast Wars. But this was one where, you know, I was like leaning back on Harumph. I don't know about this when it came out. But it turned out to be pretty darn good, didn't it? Yeah, I loved it. I remember, again, it was like we heard that He-Man was coming back and... I don't remember seeing the toys in the store before the show Mm -hmm. came. I feel like this was a rare case where the show and the toys came at about the same time. I could be wrong. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times, like with Beast Wars, we saw the toys before the show came out. Yeah. And we were like, Beast Wars, harumph. There's a guy called Tarantulas. (laughs) <laughs> what a stupid name for Cheetor? Really? Oh my god. Yeah, who's, flash who's forward a year and we're like, oh my god, I can't find this one. I, I need to get yeah. them all. Where I are know. they? I, I remember calling you on the phone because I had just found Transmetal Cheetor in the store. <laughs> and I was talking like a kid from 1986 who just met Ralph Macchio. You know? <laughs> I found him! I found him! I found him! <laughs> Where did you find him? Oh, it's a target! It's a target! Go check yours! <laughs> I remember being on a Transformers news group, if you remember the news group, guys. And there was like a handful of us in the city that I lived in. And when we saw new toys, they'd post sightings. Yeah. And I remember like I had some errands to run and I came home and I started reading the news group and... Someone said, oh, the new Transmetal Megatron and Transmetal Optimus Primal are at this target. And I was like, well, it's time to go back out. And yeah. I just like turned right around and went back out, picked yeah. him up. Uh, Those are fun times. Yeah. But but yeah, it's the 2002 He-Man figures. I remember like really feeling like I don't know how they can do this and have it be any good. And, and I think it was the first one of the first designs I saw was Whiplash. And I was like, how did they capture the essence of the original toy and make it look really, really interesting and cool? Because, like, remember, everybody, we just bagged on G.I. Joe Extreme, where it's like, look, it's G.I. Joe, but it's badder and bolder than ever. You know, and, like, so now it's like I look at that whiplash, I'm like, my goodness, that looks, it evokes the original figure, but looks way better. And that's, like, how the whole line was. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I loved it. I mean, to put things in perspective... As far as I understand it, like He-Man is sort of your number one property and Transformers is a close second and G.I. Joe is like third. But for me, it's like G.I. Joe, Transformers is a close second and He-Man is down third. And I always liked the Filmation He-Man just fine. I love the toy line just fine. But this, the 2002 series tweaked things just enough Yep. To where I was yep. like, oh, I like this more. This is a yep. little bit more serious, a little bit more interesting designs. And mm-hmm. it's just like they made all the right tweaks for me. So I yeah. loved the 2002 series. It, and it, I it, had to have all those toys. It was absolutely recognizable, right? You knew what it was. like, mm-hmm. And yeah, so yeah, I will take 
everything I saw in this commercial Hoover. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take two of some of them because I'm going to want one on the card, one on the shelf. Yeah, you, that's That was the thing we did and still do sometimes. So, yep, you got me to get... Batman and Bob the Goon and all these He-Man figures. Can you can you complete the circle in this commercial break? Well, most relevant to our show, how could we not touch on the return of Transformers as Transformers Generation 2 in 1992 mm. after a few years being out of the game? If you never had the Dinobots or Constructicons before, now was your chance, though they were in different colors than they were before. It's the evil Constructicons, Decepticon vehicles built to destroy planet Earth. More than meets the eye, they're robots in disguise. And the Constructicons combine to form the dreaded Devastator for really big destruction. But the Constructicons on Earth big trouble. The heroic Dinobots, Snarl, Slag, and Grimlock. These massive monsters transform into mighty robots. They'll blast those Decepticons into extinction. Transformers! Transformers Generation 2. Dinobots and Constructicons each sold separately. And they're CGI and moving very slowly. <laughs> and the animation is nothing to write home about in these commercials. Just ignore that. Hey, you got yeah. the toys back. What more do you want? I, I remember at the time feeling like, oh, this is promising something great in years to come. Eventually, we're going to get a CGI Transformer show, and it's going to look <laughs> incredible, right? But... I what's funny about this is yes I bought them I bought them twice Hoover don't worry about it uh, you 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 <laughs> won all three but at the time when this came out this is this is so funny because like it, it's it's partially like the lack of context that a young person has that only a young person can have because they haven't lived long enough to get the context because I remember in 1992 I'm a senior in high school right mm -hmm. this comes out and I'm thinking oh my gosh Transformers are back after all these years. <laughs> <laughs> And it has literally been like three years, maybe. Three. Well, because four like, tops. We had all the MicroMasters and Action Masters stuff in the mm -hmm. into in, in the you know time in between, and we had some of those characters showing up in the comics. So I was still collecting the the Simon Furman, Andrew Wildman comics, but to see the original characters, Devastators back, mm -hmm. Grimlock's back, and he's a mm -hmm. he can transform again, you know. I remember the moment I found, I didn't find out from a TV commercial. I found out because I just went to a Toys R Us and yeah. there was like this big display that said Transformers Generation 2. And I'm like, what? what? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, well, Grimlock's blue now, but you know, it's still Grimlock. So yeah, I remember being overwhelmed with excitement about this, this toy line. <laughs> Even though it's just like, look, we repainted Bruticus. There he is again, everybody. You like it, right? I do. <laughs> yeah, that that's that that scans perfectly for you. But what's interesting is that even though Transformers was like my number two toy line, my reaction to seeing Generation Two back in the store, I was like, what? Why? Why are they trying to bring these back? And I just thought this this is like a lame cash grab or. You know, uh, I, I guess I was cynical. I was a, I was a sophomore in high school. Oh, so I, I was see. like, uh, what what are they trying to do with these? And of course, like two years later, I'd be like, oh, I can get this transformer again. <laughs> well, see, here's here's also the difference between the two of us. It not just in age, but you're a sophomore in high school. What did your hair look like when you were a sophomore in high school? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh -huh. No comment. <laughs> 
Hoover was edgy. He was he was an edge lord before there was an edge lord, you know. And 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 as for me, I mean, I was I was a a, a doughy dope when I was like twenty two years old. It's a miracle that anybody eligible to be my partner was even interested. <laughs> And I was just waltzing through, through Toys R Us going like, oh my goodness, <laughs> there they are. <laughs> I can have them again. So, <laughs> Meanwhile, Hoover was like being extreme in his bedroom with the windows all covered up. <laughs> so, yeah, we got them all, or at least I got them all. You're, you're not going to get the Yellow Devastator? You really don't want Yellow Devastator? Mm. Eh. Oh, okay. Green or get out. That's more for me. So... <laughs> All right, I'm ready to head back into the episode and find out if Optimus is going to come back to life because there's a hate plague. <laughs> well, as we return, Rodimus spots Ultra Magnus in the reflection in the monitor and is able to sidestep his former friend so he doesn't get touched. And he rips out a computer console and throws it on top of him just to be sure. Then he shuts Metroplex down so he can't be infected and beats feet, transforms, and speeds off. But Magnus is soon in pursuit. He bursts through a wall, cutting Rodimus off, but the nimble Autobot leader is able to transform and leap over Magnus's truck mode, then retransform and speed off, leaving Magnus to shout that he can follow him anywhere. But eventually, Magnus corners Rodimus in an alleyway and thinks he's got him right where he wants him. But Rekar appears behind Magnus and manages to lasso him, temporarily stopping him. But it only allows Magnus to get close to Rekgar. And after a brief touch, Rekgar is infected. You okay? <laughs> I'm a pepper. Wouldn't you like to be a pepper too? For the young kids out there, this is a Dr. Pepper commercial reference. So go YouTube up some 1980s Dr. Pepper commercials. <laughs> the now infected Rekgar reaches out and touches Rodimus, infecting the Autobot leader as well. We cut away to a newscast where a reporter informs us. The hate plague, as it's become known, is spreading like wildfire across our world. It began with infected transformers, but soon spread to our human population as well. How many of us will be infected? Is there any cure? And if not, when will the plague end? And will any of us be alive to see the end? During all this, we see a montage where an infected Combaticon brawl is driving down a street, chasing after the Predacon Headstrong, and he ends up infecting him. And then Headstrong goes after Razorclaw and infects him. Mobs of infected humans rush down streets, and it's just chaos everywhere we turn. So, unless this plague has some kind of side effect of making people impervious to harm, which I suppose is possible, though not likely, given what the reporter says, one has to imagine that this plague is responsible for a great amount of death. Yeah, I had to say, like, this scene, too, when I was a kid, I felt I found it kind of upsetting because you see Defensor, like, rip up, like, some kind of giant building and throw it at another giant building. And he does, like, this really big grunt when he does it. So it, even though it's not animated that great, it feels like there's consequences in this episode. And though we don't see any dead bodies like we did in the face of Nijika, it... You, you, the implication is very clear. Mm -hmm. Millions of people are getting hurt or killed because of this plague. And the fact that they cut to a news reporter, which they don't often do in Transformers, right? Like, right. this is an image and, like, sort of like a motif that you only see in catastrophe movies. 
So, or you don't only see it, but it gets used a lot in catastrophe movies, right? Uh, in zombie movies and so on. So I, I, I received this pretty much the way I think it was intended. And yeah, it's like they can't show it, but we know what's happening. But for now, let's see what Skylinks is up to. It seems he's found a five-faced Quintesson fleeing from a mob of infected Sharktacons. So this plague has even traveled off-world, likely through Decepticon transmission, I'm guessing. Skylinks hovers over the fleeing Quint, asking, Need a lift, Quintesson? Yes, yes, let me in! Get him! Infect them all! Not so fast! You can only come aboard if you agree to restore Optimus Prime to life! I'll do it! Wise choice! Skylinks picks up the Quintesson, and as we pull back, we see that there's no less than 23 infected Sharktacons chasing him. So, at this point, we have to be thinking about how timely it is that we're having this discussion about mm -hmm. this particular episode, right? Because I think something that, like, I've been thinking about this for going on a decade is how, I don't want to get too much in the weeds on this, because I, I know that this episode doesn't explore it, but... Like, it feels like we're losing our sense of how deeply interconnected we all are. Like, not just with the world, but with each other, you know? And it can feel very much like, oh, those people live in the South. They have nothing to do with us, right? Mm -hmm. But then, like, COVID comes along, and it's like, look at how connected we are. Look how fast this just ran through the world, mm -hmm. right? And if you don't think we're interconnected after that, it's like, man, what's wrong with you? And as a kid, I remember watching this episode thinking like, huh, how to get to outer space? Doesn't make any sense. It's on Earth, right? And it's like, oh, yes, as Hoover just pointed out, Decepticons travel off-world. Autobots travel off-world, right? And yeah, they think about the Quintessons or something. They're like, hey, let's go beat up on some Quintessons. And they fly mm -hmm. there and they touch a Sharktacon and then it's all over. Yeah, and, and but yeah, in, in a post COVID world, having experienced it firsthand, you know, yes, we're also in a post Spanish flu world and a post a lot of other plagues, but like we lived through this one. And now this doesn't feel quite so implausible or weird. This feels almost hauntingly real to me, mm -hmm. right? And then it gets, yeah, it gets me thinking about like another theme that this episode could have explored is like how interconnected we all are, right? Look at this thing that just like, just ravages, just like just explodes through the universe so that even Quintessons in far out sectors, Skylink said himself, like they're hiding in the far reaches of the galaxy. Well, here we are at the far reaches and the heat plague is there and it's only apparently months after it got started on earth. So it seems like, gosh, I wish they would have had more time to do other things with the story than just bring Optimus back to life. As cool as Optimus is, I'm not trying to ding on Optimus. I love Optimus. But it's just like, once again, it's like everything kind of falls off the table in service of getting us to where we're headed in the end of this episode. Yeah. Well, we keep up the frenetic pace of this episode by jumping ahead to Skylinks and the Quintesson being already back at Autobot City with the Quintesson inspecting Optimus's body, which lies on the table. He claims it's not going to be easy, but he begins his work. And we get a little montage of some trial and error during the attempt of at fixing Optimus, and at one point the Quintesson is controlling movement of Prime's arms, and Skylinks gets whacked across the room. But in time, the Quintesson puts on the finishing touches, and declares that if this hasn't worked, then Optimus Prime will never live again. 
A switch is thrown and energy rushes towards Optimus, bathing the room in a bright white light. And then the Autobot leader stands. Optimus. I've done it! Optimus Prime lives! It's true. Our leader is back. Yes, Skylinks. And this time, no force in the universe can stop me. And we get the words to be continued on screen. So part one comes to an end. Of course, the hate plague is a pretty cornball concept, but it works as some perilous situation for the world to get into so Optimus can come back and save it. I like that whatever the MacGuffin is, it is brought back from space just as they bring Optimus back. Mm-hmm. I'm sure something more inventive than a hate plague could have been concocted, but hey, it does the job of putting not just the planet in peril, but the entire universe allowing Optimus to return as the triumphant hero. So I'm not going to propose another option they could have gone with, because I can't really think of anything. <laughs> what does the episode get right? Well, big huge peril is exactly what we need, so that's a check. Skylink's being his arrogant self? Check. The fact that story-wise they addressed that the Junkions couldn't fix Prime? That's good. And the fact that they make a note of saying Metroplex needs to be shut down, lest he get infected, that's good. Because I was definitely one of those know-it-all kids who would be like, hey, wait a minute, what about Metroplex? Yeah, yeah. And of course I do like the fact that the threat implies that uninfected Autobots and uninfected Decepticons might have to team up. That's always good. These are all good things. So what don't I like in this episode? Well... As an introduction to the Throttlebots, this absolutely sucks. No lines, they aren't even named. Apparently in the script, back when Ultra Magnus and the Throttlebots went around back, there was a longer scene where one of the Throttlebots named Chase actually got some lines. Mm. But that was cut, so may as well have never happened. But hopefully by next episode, the Throttlebots will be named and allowed to talk. So... Cross your fingers. The Hate Plague, as you've said, is extremely on the nose and rather kiddy for a show that spent this season kind of aging up. But like I said, I couldn't really dream up a replacement idea. And if these writers were under the usual time constraints, sometimes placeholder ideas have to go out the door when they're due. So all in all, I feel it's an okay episode. I feel it is a good thing to bring Optimus back, especially because of the huge unforeseen reaction to his death. So that does help bring it up a bit. But that's just what I think, Jersey. So what say you? Oh, bringing Optimus back. I, I, I can't help but feel like it's a mixed bag in that it feels familiar to us because we are both comic book fans and we had been comic book fans up to this point right really mm -hmm. since we were little kids and this kind of stuff just happens left and right like i remember when the death of superman thing was coming around i was 19 at that point and all of the adults in my life who didn't read comic books were like looking to me saying like what do you think i keep hearing about this on 2020 and on the, the today show and whatnot you know <laughs> what's going to happen with the death of superman and i was just like just sit still for a year <laughs> it's gonna be fine it's not a big deal he's gonna come back this is what happens you know so I, I feel like this felt familiar in that way like heroes die and then they come back in some other form kind of thing and and i and like 
as an adult who loves mythology and folklore and that kind of storytelling, I actually don't think that's that big of a deal because that, that's something that happens a lot in that kind of storytelling is death and rebirth, death and rebirth cycles and so on. That's fine. I also feel this is where it's the mixed bag is like it, it basically tosses out a huge chunk of momentum that was going on where the story and the whole concept of the Transformers franchise was changing. So I am a creative person who enjoys novelty and change. And even if it goes in a direction that I ultimately don't care for as much, I do like the excitement that change promises. So, you know, headmasters, target masters, all the different directions that went afterwards as an adult, I look at that. I'm like, that's all really cool. It's like, let's keep exploring. Let's keep throwing things at the wall and see what works. But I get it that, once you're a fan of something like, you know, a lot of my Transformers friends are fans of season one and that's mm -hmm. it. You know, it's like I punch out after season two and I really am not familiar with it. I know the characters and everything, but I, just, I, I couldn't tell you the plot of a Decepticon Raider in King Arthur's court. Right. Mm -hmm. And don't even ask him about season three, you know? So I get it. You, you lock on the thing you like and you just want that. And it's hard for you if it's going to be constantly changed. So bringing Optimus back, I'll also say this, that line, that last line you played. It's true, our leader is back. Yes, Skylinks. And this time, no force in the universe can stop me. When I was a kid, I got goosebumps when I heard that. I, I remember feeling a chill move through my body when you hear Skylinks whisper, our leader is back, yep. right? So I'm a human being. We're, we're, we're funny, complex creatures with a lot of like inconsistencies and, and, and conflicting ideas. So while I felt that, that, that thrill, at the same time, I'm like, my God, can't you people like generate your own new life energy? They have to keep going back to the same person over and over again. <laughs> you know, it's like in, in real life, we don't get to have our leaders come back when they're a great leader. We have to learn from them and like borrow from their wisdom and see if we can you know, lift up the next generation as high as we can kind of thing. So, uh, like I said, mixed bag. I, I Death and rebirth is a cyclic thing. I totally appreciate it. Also, it's like there's this other stuff too that we have to consider. But how do I feel about this episode? I think to summarize all of my thoughts, I feel like everything that I find interesting about it is kind of only obliquely referenced and expressed because it's really all about just getting Optimus back up on his feet. Mm -hmm. So like the, the whole idea of a hate plague, the idea of a hate plague is actually not, I don't think I kind of disagree with you. I don't think it's that corny. I think it's an interesting idea because of how it is expressed, at least through the character of ultra Magnus. Yeah. I mean, I think it could be, but yeah. how it, how it's happening is, yes. is the cornball way and yep. that everyone is glowing red and they're calling it a hate plague, and everyone's everyone's mean. That's the infantile thing about it. I want to say, wasn't this part of the plot of the Firefly series when they did the movie? We found out that the Reavers were essentially that kind of thing, right? It's like something where it was an experiment that went wrong, and like the aggressive animalness of people mm. that turned up to a, like fifteen, and that's where the why the Reavers act the way they do. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember when I saw the movie, I didn't follow all of Firefly closely, but I went and saw the movie and I remember thinking like, hey, that's like the hate plague from Transformers. But I mean, except they can't infect anybody. They're just, they are infected themselves, right? So 
yeah, like the 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 whole concept of interconnectedness, I feel like that's cool. Oh, but we can't go into it because of we got to get to Optimus. The whole this is a plague that makes your shadow self come out and you're going to, you know, be you're going to all of the things you repress about yourself are going to come out in this really horrendous way, which feels once again, I know I keep hammering on this this very Jungian idea of there's this idea in Jungian psychology of whatever you banish to the shadow goes and lives in the forest and is untamed. So when it comes back, it's very wild and uncontrollable, right? So like there's that that I recognize in this and I'm like that's an interesting concept. We can't go into it cuz we got to get to Optimus. And then lastly, I think one of the things that bums me out is that why is Rodimus's first thought to bring Optimus back in this scenario? Because well, he's the at first he says we have to lay him to rest so yes. he can rest in peace. He's not like, oh, we have to try and bring him back. Right. It but it just switches once he gets infected. Well, see, and that's where I feel like I would be happier as a viewer if Rodimus got infected. And then Skylink says, mm. let's bring Optimus back. We're, we're without a leader now. Who can we turn to? Well, here's a leader right here. Mm -hmm. And he was the greatest of us. So let's do but it. But honestly, we can't have that happen in story because then Skylinks would never shut up about how he's <laughs> responsible for Optimus coming back. And that, Only if not I can bring back Optimus Prime. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You've become such an insufferable jerk. Yeah, I, I, I just like the, the and I think this probably has more or less to do with how much they're trying to do in one 22 minute episode. It's, it's for sure. I mean, if you think about this episode as a five parter yep. and imagine all they could do and yep. you have like you show like Bumblebee with like all of his friends like getting infected around him. And yep. then it's Bumblebee who's like, you know, he sees. Optimus Prime lying on this table. He's like, maybe we can bring him back somehow. And I think thematically it would be wonderful if, if it's Bumblebee who makes that decision. Absolutely. And Bumblebee plays pretty a reasonably large part in this two-parter coming up. But yeah, if you did it, like if you closed this the third season with a five-parter that flips the script on what happens in the first five-parter where you literally have the Decepticons on a barren husk of a planet and Motormaster says, what we need is a great leader. Like the Autobots, they used to have a terrific leader, right? When we, we highlighted that as like, wow, Motormaster's like giving props to Optimus who we hated so much, right? So now you have the hate plague happen and wreck everything up. So now we're in a second desolation. Right now, it's now the good guy's life is desolated. Like the Earth is like ruined. It's in an apocalyptic state and whatever. Which I mean, as a 12, 13 year old, I would have been all into because that mm -hmm. when you're that age, like apocalyptic storytelling becomes very, very appealing. Which we went into recently in some past episodes. But then you could have like even that line repeated where Bumblebee could say like, "We don't have a leader anymore, but we used to have a great one, and I think we need to bring him back." Right? Something like that. Right. Yeah. And then and then just like how Galvatron was resurrected, quote unquote, from the plasma bath. Now we're resurrecting Optimus, but it's flipped. It's inverted. And Optimus has come back because he's wise and he's put together and he's 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 integrated. Whereas Galvatron is dissolute. Right. He's 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 a, a madman. So that would be artful, I feel like. 
it might be too artful though <laughs> for what this is there's no time for art we've got two episodes that's right that's right we got to wrap this up chop chop so and and also i mean i think it would it would have been maybe trying to turn this into something that it's not which is like a piece of you know i mean i i do think it's art but it's more it's art in the service of commerce ultimately mm -hmm. and and that has its own bugs and features so i'm not gonna hammer on it too hard i i'm not like like I'm not crushed with disappointment over this. I guess what, what the return of Optimus Prime represents for me is how conflicted you get when you fall in love with something that ultimately is in service of something else. Yes, it's about it, entertaining the audience, but it's also about shipping toys, not stepping on parents' toes, <laughs> right? serving the interests of the toy manufacturer who is providing the characters for all these episodes because like we're going to meet some new characters in this next one who it also makes some changes where i'm like i don't know how i feel about that you know i i was in love with this well now you made it into that and the part of me who loves novelty says cool i can't wait to see where this goes but the other part of me who's like but i loved it the way it was and then there's another part of me who says oh they're only doing this like you were talking about transformers generation 2 they're doing this to get more money from me. <laughs> so, so yeah, that I'm conflicted about everything that happens in this two-parter, but I will not argue with how thrilling it feels to have Optimus stand up and then say something as ridiculous as no force in the universe can <laughs> stop me. <laughs> Holy cow, right? So, yeah, he's never going away again. I'm never going to leave you, children. It's going to be okay until Optimus <laughs> Primal shows up. Oh, no! <laughs> Actually, in, in, in the Japanese cartoons, there's a whole bunch of different convoys, right? So, anyway. Yeah, I guess it's that... I don't feel like I clarified anything. I feel like I just, like, just jumbled out a whole bunch of conflicting thoughts. Well, it's also a two-parter, so we don't have any resolution yet. Yeah, yeah. I think we'll be able to put a nice bow on it after next episode. Yeah. Well, where where can we watch the next episode? Well, of course, it's on that Hasbro Pulse YouTube or Tubi.tv, and it's the very last episode of Season 3. I can't believe we've actually made it this far. I know. On the one hand, it feels like forever, but I'm also surprised we're already here. So join us in two weeks as we wrap the season up. Oh, man. Well, thank you, as always, Hoover, for having these conversations with me. It always feels good to articulate my affection for this show in as balanced a way as I can. And if you want to resurrect a great leader in your life by grabbing one of your worst villains and forcing them to do it. <laughs> yeah, there's also almost something kind of Lovecraftian about that too. It's right. Let's go grab one of our, our one of these tentacle armed villains and make them reanimate this, this person that we love. Uh, there can't be any unforeseen consequences there. Of course mm -hmm. not. Go, go write a few nice words about us wherever you interact with people, whether it's on Facebook or Twitter or TikTok, you do a TikTok saying, Hey, there's a podcast to listen to. Look at me, listen to it as I do a dance, right? Was that ignorant of me to say that <laughs> to describe TikTok that way? <laughs> but if you're in line at the post office, 
Don't turn to the person in line next to you and go, "Hey, have you heard about this Transformers podcast?" <laughs> That's okay. You don't need to. You don't need to do that. No, you're not helping us out there. Yeah, unless you see the person next to you is wearing a shirt that says like "Truck Not Monkey." You yeah. know, like that. That's an invitation for that conversation. <laughs> Or especially if they're wearing, you know, the AstroChain t-shirt that says, you know, activating to alert status where he's holding a cup of coffee. I'm going to hand it off to Hoover in a second. But if they're that's a that, great they're... shirt, I know where they can buy that one. <laughs> where can they get it? Oh, well, if you go to our web store at www.tpublic.com slash user slash four million years later, you'll see uh-huh. that design and a handful of others you could buy and wear around to the post office and everywhere else, and show people that you really like Transformers and you like them in the best way possible, i.e. the way we like them. <laughs> That's right. Let's make this tribal now. <laughs> and, then, and then, yes, then, then that person in the post office will see you wearing that shirt and they'll say, oh, for fun, have you heard of the 4 Million Years Later podcast? And you're like, have I? <laughs> and you made a friend. So, okay. Well, this show drops on Thursdays at 4millionyearslater.com. Oh, don't forget to send us an email because we want to do a mailbag episode to wrap this project up. And in that email, you can ask us what we're going to do next and we can ponder it in the mailbag Uh episode. But these podcasts drop at 4millionyearslater.com. And until next time, I have been Jersey Drozd of 4millionyearslater.com and rss.jdrozd.com for everything I make. And I have been Hoover. Okay, bye. Goodbye. Episode synopses are from imdb.com and some episode information taken from tfwiki.net. The closing theme is by Nick Mahalik, based on the original closing theme by Ford Kinder and Ann Bryant. You can find more of Nick's music at soundcloud.com slash nicholas-mahalik. That's spelled N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S dash M-E-H-A-L-I-C-K. Find us on Facebook under 4 million years later and you can email us at 4 million years later at gmail.com visit 4 million years later.com and if you haven't yet please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts you know how it works <laughs>